You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Game is Human. We're part of the SequelCast 2 and Friends groups of podcasts and we're on the Greenlit Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. Oh, uh, hey, and I am Thrasher, and I got free lanterns for adventurers. Free lanterns for adventurers and uh, sentient knights of, or uh, sentient armor that's scared of mice. I got those two oh, in my back pocket. Lord. So we are talking about uh, Sierra Quest is a podcast in which we look at Sierra Online's adventure games chronologically from the beginning, looking at their major works, not really looking at all the kind of weird kind of educational titles, um, not really the media tie-in stuff unless it's significant. But, you know, we're still pretty early on here with the high-res adventure number three, Cranston Manor. And this is notable because it's the first game we've talked about not designed by Roberta Williams and Ken Williams. Although Ken Williams does get a design credit, but as far as how much he did on it, I could not find any any firm firm answers. I, I found some information on that, but uh, oh, I mean, originally this game came out in a text uh, version called the Cranston Manor Adventure, released in 1981 by the Artworks Software Company. Uh, this was the only game Larry Ledin ever did. Sierra. Um, which Ken Williams was the, the president of, uh, wanted to increase the number of um, graphic adventures they were releasing. So, of course, that means you got to bring in more designers. More designers, more product. And this was already a text game and that, that they liked. And they said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, get the right, we'll, have, we'll get the licensing rights to do a remake of this in color uh, with the color graphics. Uh, and hence, we have Cranston Manor. Uh, unfortunately, um, Larry Ledin didn't do a great job negotiating his contract and uh on the sierra manual it only credits harold dewitts and ken williams as the designer not the original person really huh yep and of course this was also like back this was back in an age when almost no one got credit for their games this is this is Correct. the age that brought us the developers room the secret area where the the people who made the game would hide their credits yes as um, made famous in the adventure game or perhaps uh, more recently they tell that story at the end of ready player 1 oh they do don't they yeah the, it's a sort of the climax of both the book and the movie you know, not nearly enough Roger Wilco space guy in, in, in that book and movie for my taste. I don't think we had any at all, really. Uh, exactly. Yeah, my exactly. point stands. What a pant load. Uh, so Cranston Manor. Um, because it's not designed by Roberta Williams, I think that's interesting to note. This What this does is what a lot of early text adventure games did and what a lot of adventure games for smaller children, for a younger audience do. And that is... All you're trying to do is collect 16 objects or whatever it is to win the game. 
yeah, the the background which you are given is that this ta- this town there was this you know rich guy who kind of ran the town, and then he died. But you know he took all the towns he had all these treasures. He effectively took the town's money with him. So you've got to get the treasures to give them back to the townsfolk. Not that you ever meet any of the of the townsfolk, but it's like what it's 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 six sixteen treasures. One of the treasures which is either a stack of fifty one dollar bills. Or just a stack of $50 bills. The way it's described made that unclear. It's also not made clear if it's supposed to take place in present day. Well, it, it is sort of like an out of time sort of thing. Because I could totally see, like the whole thing with Cranston Manor, I can totally see like some like 1930s to 1950s, like old old billionaire type. And I guess presumably this is like... A, a gold mining or some sort of like in mining town because there's iron everywhere and there is that giant gold nugget that you find. But I don't know, like not knowing when it takes place, I don't feel hurts it, although it has to be modern day because there's a very advanced computer system involved at one point. That's that's a fair point. And with uh, Cranston Manor, it is something where uh, the artwork was, was not by Roberta Williams. Um so the artwork in here is is better, I think, than Mystery House. The perspective looks good. Um, the colors are still kind of goofy because that's what you're working with, even though they could display more colors with their uh, fancy programming. Well, like it, it it is more colorful. It is it is overall better used for the graphics. Very often, when you look at an environment with an object in it, you can tell what the object is just by looking at it, not by like having to dig into the game's own uh, verbal descriptions. Uh, there's the suits of armor that crops up, although because this game is for the time very graphics heavy, the individual locations do take quite some time to render especially if there's a suit of armor in the room. Although one thing that I loved about whenever a suit of armor would show up, the way the pixels kind of render themselves, it's like it's beaming in on an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, the presence of these suits of armor, I kind of hinted at it in my intro to the show, is it's almost like an RPG enemy, and it functions much the same way as the snakes did in Wizard and the Princess, where the stupid enemy keeps popping up in these rooms, and you have to use the same item over and over again to... uh, I was going to say kill it, but in this case, you're just scare it away with the mouse. But apparently those suits of armor are robots, so they're robots that are scared of mice. That makes it even worse, yeah. It's it's one of those things, like, this. so this, so this game, a lot of the puzzles do have a real logical flow to them, which I think is an improvement over mm-hmm. some previous uh, entries in the series. And yet, at the same time, there is plenty of stuff that I don't know how you could make the connection. Like, like again, these, like a mouse scaring away suits of armor. I don't know how the hell you'd figure that out. And I did discover while, while doing some research here, the manual for this has a very comprehensive sort of hint guide. Basically, wherever there's a, a significant roadblock or a treasure, it tells you exactly how you get it. Although to preserve secrecy, uh, all the text with the hints is rendered backwards. Yeah, I think the manual you're looking at is for the original text version of the game, not the Sierra manual. Oh, good, good point. It may it may be the uh, the text version because Sierra would sell uh, hint guides, right, and have like the eventually, the yeah, one nine hundred phone number you could call uh, eventually. So, I mean, that's but yeah, I, I I agree. I think the puzzles 
make more sense. Although this, the setting perhaps is not as charming as Wizard and the Princess, where you have these kind of fairy tale creatures and more of a fantasy element. This well, it's one very is... much a place you can be. It's a rundown yes. town. It's a yeah. general store. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a manor. A manor which inexplicably has a subway terminal underneath it. That that comes and goes from nowhere in particular. You can't really call that steampunk, can you? I don't know what the hell you'd call that. Just sort of, he's... So he was wealthy enough and lived long enough that subways were around and could Maybe be... he just wanted his own subway. Just like uh, Jared Fogle, who's now in jail. And we're all better for it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it's a strange, I, I always have to make the association with the sandwich when I hear the word subway, even though I love riding on subways. I prefer to think of the transportation infrastructure. Thank you. So, so when you go to New York and uh, you, you ask a local, Hey buddy, where's the transportation infrastructure? <laughs> and he goes, okay, Mac, here's what you want to do. You want to go on down to the Port Authority that's my inexplicable New York accent. Hey, how you doing, buddy? I'm I, I can't even do it. Listen, to, oh, I'm a. Uh, I'm oh, Mr. Stallone. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, doing okay, thanks. When when I when I played these old uh, Sierra Adventure games, I uh, tried to play with my wife Adrian. Oh wait, that was in Rocky, and we uh. The computer, he had to flip the discatter. It took 20 minutes to load. Could you play this on Polly's robot? Polly had a three and a quarter inch disk drive, not a five and a half inch disk drive. So, so five and a quarter, the other way around. My my brain has been battered from how many flights I've been in in the rain. You're, you're slowly turning into James Stewart. <laughs> I, yeah, that didn't even sound like Stallone to begin with. And I. I need. I, oh. I would like to have a Stallone in my repertoire of imitations, but um, what does not have any imitations is Cranston Manor because there's no voice acting. Okay, so something that cropped up very early on in, in Cranston Manor, um, so uh, is is and I kind of would like would like to see more adventure games do something like this. And this being so early in the life of adventure games, I'm not sure if this is meant to be humorous, if it's a deliberate subversion. Or we just haven't gotten to this point yet. But of course, one of the features in adventure games is anything you can pick up, you damn well pick up. And the town is surrounded by cornfields. If you try to get corn, it's not your corn to take. <laughs> and I laughed out loud when I saw that. And and that happens. Like I had, There's a handful of other times where there's something you think is an object and you try to pick it up, and either the game doesn't register it because it's not really an object, or you get the message, that's not your thing to take. <laughs> it does not belong to you. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a trope in these adventure games is when you pick up something that's not nailed down, and, and you can't pick it up, it would do a stock message. And that it's not yours to take, I think, is a very funny version of that stock message. <laughs> you can't take any corn from this abandoned town. And this, more so than any of the games we've done so far... This game, you really feels like you need to make a map as you play. The geography varies. Mazes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a literal hedge maze at one point, but the interiors Mm. of the manor is also a hedge maze. And one of the interesting things is I did I did discover playing through this and looking at different walkthroughs. There are different paths you can take to get you Mm. to the same outcome, and that is a huge deal. Gives some replayability to the game. 
Oh yeah, I mean like the uh, like like Mystery Manor. That was pretty much linear. You had to do the mm-hmm. game one specific way. But here, there are plenty of plenty of times where you can take different paths. There's certain treasures you can get it out of order, and it doesn't interfere with the flow of the game. That is a huge deal. That it is a more it is an open environment that you can explore as you choose, and you're not necessarily penalized for doing that. Sure. Yeah, and the the size of this manor, I mean, although it's a single location game, uh, more or less, although you have the town, just like Mystery House, Cranston Manor feels much larger. It feels more lived in. Even though this original game came out before Mystery House, I think it's better designed, I think it's better written you know what else which which is uh, an advantage of of having this sort of big big environment to explore there are a handful of rooms that are just there to be rooms that have absolutely no bearing on the game like just just moving around i discovered a room it's just a, it's just like a sunroom it's just like an atrium that has a telescope in it and you can't pick up that telescope that telescope doesn't do anything if you look through the telescope you see mountains in the distance and like i i've I kind of, oh, I guess we go to the mountains at some point. No, you don't. That's just a room to be a room. And its very presence makes the environment seem more real. Right. Um, I would like to note out, going back a bit, that the designer, Larry Ledin, did get royalties from this as part of his deal with Sierra. So even though he's not credited in the Sierra uh, version, he got royalties, which that's always good. Um, And that you have the... uh, what do you think of this box art here for the game? I I overall I like it. It's it's atmospheric with the manor on top of the on top of the hill. Uh, some of the treasures you pick up are in fact there. Like this, uh, you can see the silver candlestick, the necklace, the pendant, the gold nugget. We see the threatening suit of armor, and it has the same basic silhouette of the of the eight bit suits of armor we're going to see in the game. It even has the cat fountain. Like it is. It is truly communicating with you some of the content of the game. As you're starting to see Sierra uh, at this time, or online systems as they were called at the time, is using a consistent uh, style for their boxes, right? Consistent branding. So when you go to a computer game store, you can look at something from a distance and say, hey, that's a Sierra title. They have the black outline uh, border, thick black border, and then the the game art taking up a lot of the page of the cover. And I think it's, although kind of a simple look, it, it is worth mentioning, I think, that it, it looks consistent. And later on, Sierra would, you know, have very distinct logos for Space Quest and Leisure Suit Larry and all these things where you can pick out where your favorite game in the series is. It's uh, really pretty neat. Yeah, I'm just I'm just still kind of in love with the fact that it is it is communicating. And actually looking looking at it, I think all of the treasures are depicted on this cover, whether you know it or not. The pearl ring is there, uh the emerald mm. eyes of the statue are there. That's quite thoughtful. Yeah, I would never think think of that to begin with. But yeah, the, the uh... other the other covers never really had that kind of information. Right, and and that you have that, it shows more care is being taken for that cover artwork. 
You know, I'm kind of wondering who did, we did. We ever figure out who was doing these, uh, doing the uh, the cover paintings for Sierra? I haven't looked that up, but that's a good question. It, it appears to be like the same people for these first few games, but the the next game we'll be covering next episode, Ulysses and the Golden Fleece, High Res Adventure Number Four, is uh, has artwork that looks much different. Um, could could still be by the same person. I, I don't know, but. Well, you know, it's signed. Oh, Duke, how about that? Duke Hambit. I'm gonna see if I'm gonna see if I okay. can find how about information that? about this guy. Pretty cool. I mean, yeah, wouldn't that be a nice piece on your wall, like a, a print of one of these a mystery house or something? I along those lines, I found uh, some some guy on Twitter. I don't have the the name in front of me. Posted pictures from uh, Ken Roberta's original home they had in, in I think Coarse Gold, uh, California where they were based out of had a uh, stained glass in that house and in the stained glass they had things from their different adventure games and one of them was Cranston Manor in a stained glass part another oh. one had like the dark crystal skeezix in there uh, one of them was Mystery House I think it was pretty neat of course, you need serious money to get custom stained glass done. That's that's no kidding around. That's hard work. So I, I am. Any I luck? think we may have to revisit this. The issue okay. of Duke, the mystery Duke of Hamlet, uh, Hamlet in, in another time. But rest assured, we will. That's going to be. I, I want to get I, as an artist myself. I want to get to the bottom of who did uh, did these paintings. But okay, so we, we talked about how like in the in the previous games they're not necessarily like growing outward. This is a game that feels like it has it has it has more depth and breadth. Yep. It does. Uh, and once again, the the parser in these early Sierra games is, is poor. And like even I tried typing N to go north, but I did it with the lowercase letter. It wouldn't recognize that. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it's and still also, a like, bit sometime... Infocoms was much better. But like, if there's like you know, if you if you want to like climb a ladder or go or go downstairs, you know, you type like U or D for up or down. But sometimes there are places where you want to go up, where where you can go up, where go where putting in U won't take you up. Like the the puzzle mm. with the rope, you specifically you can't say go up. You have to specifically say climb rope. Can you do just climb? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I did specifically climb rope. I'm not sure if climb itself will work. And that shows you how picky their parser is. It might not recognize something like climb. That would, if it, if it did or not, I'm not sure. But if it didn't, um, that wouldn't surprise me. Well, at the same time, like the lantern. So one of the things that did delight me is that one of the first <laughs> environments you can get to is a general yeah. store. Yep. And it has two things, a lantern and a sign. And if you read the sign, <laughs> the sign says free lanterns for adventurers. Which that's so delightful. I wish I wish more games were just in your face and open about the fact that you're the protagonist. Uh, and yeah, that's where you get your lantern. And so, like, turn on lantern does not necessarily turn on the lantern. Lantern on, uh, on light, light, light lantern. Like those 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 will work. Um, turn on lantern doesn't necessarily work. I feel like some things are context sensitive based on what room you're in. I, I think you must be right. Um, and 
one thing with with these earlier games that's a bit frustrating. You have the graphics. I will say, as you said, you made a good point. Looking at the, it's a nice uh, My Little Pony coffee cup, by the way. Mm. You can't see that, listeners, but it's um, a pink one. I don't know the name of that pony. It's Pinkie Pie, the Pinkie party pie. Pony. Excuse me, Pinkie Pie, the party pony. How could I forget? Um, well, my mind's in a different track. Okay, so Cranston Manor. The what was I talking about? Uh, you were talking about the graphics. Thank you. Yeah. Um, although you can see in the graphics, stuff looks like how it should. Um, the text descriptions of the rooms and and the items are very very sparse, almost like a haiku. You know, they're they're really brief. Sometimes, like to to the detriment of of what you're doing. I mean, you you often really have to ask it. Like very very often, you'll actually you'll you'll type in to look at something, and what you'll get back is just the room description. Sure. Which is, of course, I mean, you know, what what you you already had. I wonder if you can do the command you could do in the Infocom games, where you do get all, and it just gets everything in the room. That was a useful shortcut. I bet you. You know, I should have. Yeah. I should have tried that in the secret room that has the crystal triangle and the <laughs> dagger. Oh, this is another thing that this game does that I kind of like, and I sort of wish more adventure games did. So the dagger as near as I can tell, serves no purpose in the game. Uh, most of the walkthroughs I found, speci- uh, when they mention the dagger at all, just say, don't pick it up. It doesn't do anything. Uh, I did find one walkthrough that specifically said, if you know if you know anything the dagger does, email me so I can add it to this walkthrough. Um, yeah. And I-, I can only assume either it's there to throw you off or it's there as a tribute to, to Mystery House, <laughs> since the bad guy in Mystery House is always throwing knives at you. Forgot well, about that. I'm kind of enchanted by the idea that there's just bullshit items that are just there, I guess, I guess to distract you. Uh, this one walkthrough I'm reading from uh, SierraHealth.com has a lot of very funny parentheticals. For instance, at one point in the game, you get a pot and it says, buy it in parentheses. Don't worry, this pot isn't illegal. You know, that's something that I found that was consistent throughout all the walkthroughs. Is that so? The pots, the pots in the kitchen. There's also moldy cheese in the kitchen. Every yeah. walkthrough I saw says you get the cheese, you go around, do a whole bunch of other stuff, then you come back and then you get the pot. No walkthrough said get the cheese and get the pot. Um, I, and I couldn't find any explanation of like would something bad happen if you try to take both. I don't know. It, it's not like there's an inventory. There's not a weight limit, right? You don't have encumbrance. Well, oh, that's the funny thing. You mentioned that, but one of the treasures is a gold nugget, is this big gold mm. nugget. Uh, you find that in one of the subterranean levels. Well, it turns out if you try to leave the subterranean level with the nugget, you are informed that it is too heavy to carry up the stairs. So oh. at least for that item, there yes. is, in fact, encumbrance, which is why you have to find the magic elevator made of light and send it up. That That's one of the actually one of the odd things. There are two. There are three really bizarre conceits in this. One I can forgive for whimsy, which is the computer system that controls the knights and the toy soldier, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but then the other is the big pink bull, which we will talk about that in a minute as well. <laughs> and then the other is the uh, is is the lift. It's not like it's not like a service elevator. It's not one of those accessibility elevators uh, that you would that that you would sometimes see. In fact, one of my grandparents, in fact, had one in their old place. It is not. A dumbwaiter, which 
that would make so much sense to have a dumbwaiter that connects a storage room in the basement to like the kitchen. No, it's a beam of light that through, I guess, gravity induction sends stuff to the upper levels. And you have to put the gold nugget in that and then find where it lets out and then open the shaft so that you can get the nugget back. Yeah, I mean, it, it is nice. Some of the puzzles in this game are a bit more complicated than you're simply finding the items and getting them and picking them up. There's a bit more involved things here. And... uh and I like, I cannot stress enough how, they, how they're how they mostly logical and make sense. Because well, that's some, something else um, that I love. Like in our previous games, there is sort of an order to things. But here, you can find an obstacle that gets you thinking about how you're going to overcome it. Like there's that one door with a weird triangle-shaped hole in it. That immediately means, oh, i got to find a triangle-based item. And you eventually do, the triangular crystal. Um but like a lot of the other games kind of don't do this. They just sort of assume you'll find the right thing at the right time and then you'll know to use it later. Right. And it, it's always nice when the designers take uh, take that step. You had mentioned a pink bowl as being pretty memorable. Yeah, so when there uh, so uh, past the halfway point of the game as you're going through as you're going through the subterranean areas, um, there is, uh, there's this cavern where you find one of the treasures and there's scratching on the wall. You read the scratching. It's a message that says like the beast got me. I am done for. And if you proceed in the next area, there is a, it is a big pink bull. And I can only assume it's described as pink because they couldn't render any other color for it. Like they couldn't do brown and blue would be seen, I guess, too weird. Put people in the mind of Babe, the blue ox. But yeah, it's this angry bull. That's the beast. It clearly wants to kill you. And what you are, and so what you're supposed to do is douse your lantern so that the bull mm. can't see you and then just leave. But the thing is, before you do that, you get a message. And the message is, and I saved this, mm, a the wizard, wizard has put the bull in a temporary stasis field, which will be released after your next command. Maybe it's the wizard from Wizard and the Princess. I guess, but it seems like, <laughs> like you could just have an, like, an animal on a chain that can still get at you in the room. Like th This wizard conceit is such a weird conceit in the middle of this game that up until now has had no supernatural elements and will not have any supernatural elements afterwards. And I love the artwork of the bull. He looks kind of constipated or confused. It's, it's well, quite humorous, aside from the this, color pink. He's in this weird bow-legged squat and has kind of these sad eyes, and I can only assume that he's in the position he's in because that was the only way they could fit all of the bull in the frame and still make it look as massive as they wanted it to look. But there's all these funny little things because, like, it's effectively standing on the horizon, even though you're in a cave. Because they cover color the stalagmites, uh, stalagmites green, it looks like he's in a forest. But also, he is in front of objects that are clearly supposed to be in the foreground. <laughs> it's kind of charming in its in its way, but at the same time, but it is also so out of place in this game. And uh, what about the? computer yeah so there's a computer you, you find in a room with one of the treasures which is this big like like platinum ball so it turns out so when you go into the basement one of the things that you'll is that this toy soldier starts showing up and when the toy soldier shows up 
you best just move, even though he's going to follow you. Because if you do anything else but move, it shoots at you. And as near as I can tell, every time it shoots at you, there's roughly a one in four chance that it hits you and kills you. So we finally have that Sierra thing that will get you killed and make you have to go back. But when you do, but it turns out it's controlled by the computer. So when you throw the pot of water over the computer, the computer shorts out and the toy soldier goes away. And also, so do the suits of armor, which are also apparently robots. Yeah, and um, I don't know if I like it being a computer. I kind of wish it was like a ghost knight or, or something more. Uh, well, something that would spooky. jive with the fact that there's a wizard in, in stasis fields involved. I would love to find the answer why it's a wizard. Well, you know what's what's so funny is that when so when this movie or the movie when this game was going, <laughs> the whole time I thought, oh, you're gonna find out that the rich guy faked his death. He's hiding in the house and is protecting his treasures. I kept waiting for the, that reveal that it was just the old rich guy doing all this. But no, it's not. It's the computer. But that would have been a perfect place to have a character you could interact with. What if the computer was somehow became sentient and manipulated uh, the old man's corpse? That would be pretty dark. That might be more uh, dark than Sierra. Maybe a bit dark than Sierra at this time. It's more of a phantasmagoria conceit, perhaps. Oh, oh, one thing. So I did. I did. Uh, one of the things. Did you? So you found. I'm guessing you did find the the uh, bridal suite. I did. There's all these neat themed rooms, themed bedrooms <laughs> on the second floor. It's almost like the Madonna Inn. But there, yeah, there is a uh, a bridal suite, and it's this purple room with a big pink heart shaped bed and a mirror on the ceiling that does actually reflect the graphics of what's like in the room. And so, did did you look in the mirror? No, just for fun. I, I, cause that's one thing I did is I did try just some fun things to see what would happen. And by far, this was the best. So I looked at, I looked at the mirror and here's what I got. Wow. You look a mess. How long have you been playing this adventure? <laughs> Breaking that the was... fourth wall. Wow. That's pretty unusual for, the, for this time. Oh, that was so great. You look a mess. Well, I mean, they only have. What, it looks like three lines they can use for description, and then the fourth line it says enter command. Yeah. So, and every now and then you do get more text than that, like the wizard, like the thing with the bull and the wizard. That whole mm -hmm. description is four lines. So you got to hit enter to scroll down to get the text parser back. And I, even when that happened, actually, there was some inadvertent tension because I'm like, okay, does hitting the text parser, does hitting enter to bring up the text parser count as a command? Is that going to kill me? Sierra, are you going to kill me? Because they have before, and I know they will again. When in doubt, the answer is probably yes. And uh, <laughs> at the climax of the game, there's this really curious uh, cat fountain. Yeah, well, yeah, you passed the cat fountain in the courtyard early on, and I yeah. remember the whole time, oh, we're going to come back to this, turns out I was right. Uh, and even then, like when you look at it, the cat statue has green eyes. Well, obviously they're gemstones. Turn, turns out they are. You can use a raft to paddle because there's a piranha. There is a piranha in the fountain. There's a sign that warns you to defeat piranha. You can paddle up to it and use the screwdriver to pry out the gemstones. And they're two, two giant emeralds. But the cat looks great. I actually do truly love the way they render the cat. And the weird blue, white, and green background makes it look like a national flag. It's like a flag of some cat nation. And and the whole conceit of the game ends 
around where you began the game is here as well. And that, that's sort of a nice touch because you, you've solved all these puzzles. You know, if you weren't doing this with a walkthrough, it presumably would take you weeks or months to finish this game. And you would feel, you know, more seasoned at the end of it. So you kind of go back and like, oh, it feels like I did this ages ago. I'm back at where I started. Well, it's so strange because like unlike Wizard and Princess, like nobody's there to congratulate you for completing the game. And I guess presumably <laughs> right. saving the town by presumably returning the treasures. But yeah, because when, when you find the manor, you can't get in the front gate because it's locked. You have to use a crowbar to pry open a back gate to get into the garden. So what you have to do is after you get all the treasures, you have to go to the gate, unlock it from the inside and leave. And once you leave, you get congratulations, six exclamation points. You have successfully completed your mission and are hereby declared a level three adventurer. I guess by level three means you automatically level up to level three because it's high res adventure three. I, I can only assume that that is what they what, what it's a reference to, which is kind of cute. I still like that very simple victory message. And the idea that I'm, I'm personally leveling up is delightful, especially since I've been playing the series. If this was the only one you played, maybe you don't deserve to be level three yet. Remember in the old Activision Atari games, if you got a high score, you could take a photo of your high score and mail it in and they'd send you a physical patch. Oh, yeah, I do remember those days. I would love if they did that for adventure games, if you, like, took a photo. I mean, it's so easy to cheat nowadays, but if you took well, a photo, ones. yeah, when you beat uh, a, a thing. I mean, one time as, as a kid, Nintendo Power had it where you could take a photo and send it in for high scores. Yeah, and I remember they actually, I had an issue where they had a whole article just explaining how to take pictures of yes. what's on your screen and it had a whole like math for how to calculate the dimensions of your screen versus where the camera should be placed in relation to it what the lighting conditions should be if you can pull focus how like how, where to pull your focus really really fascinating article I, I did it for one of mine it was for the very first game i beat because sometimes not just high scores they said finish the game was your accomplishment and this would have been in the late 80s. It was Bionic Commando for the Nintendo, but the only camera we had was a, uh, which is a pretty hard game, um, was the, oh, what's the camera where you, on the top, you put the flash, and then it spits out the film that you... Oh, the Polaroid played. with the flash Thank cube. you, Polaroid. So to get that, to get a clear picture of your television, took a few times. I was like maybe in second grade at the time, or first grade. And uh, no, it would have, would have had been second. And we mailed it to Nintendo Power when we lived in Argentina. And we got a, a letter back God, several over a month later from Nintendo Power. That's and they cool. said, Matt, Matt, thank you for your accomplishment. Uh, unfortunately, this game is too old, so we cannot feature it in our high score <laughs> section of Nintendo Power. Oh, that sucks. But I, I oh, wish I great. still had a copy of that letter. Uh, that would have been something. But I, Did you I get your photo that... back? Do you still have proof of the photo? Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the Gathering. Come along and play! Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. No, no, it was just the letter. <laughs> they uh, Maybe there's a warehouse of like the old Nintendo Power photos that were sent for the high scores.
there might there might be there's a fascinating uh uh twitter uh called like i think art of nintendo power i and follow that guy he's great he's yeah, getting he's just, like the original stuff from the covers like the original um claymation models and oh yeah like he he has been uh he's been collecting like physical objects that appeared on the cover of Nintendo Power magazine. So yeah, recreations yeah. of characters and props, some stuff used for internal art, some uh, original art. Uh it, it's it's really fascinating. Let me actually I'm going to I'm going to look up. Okay, so the so the, it's called Art of Nintendo Power. It is at Art of NP if you want to actually Great. see his stuff. Yep. And it's really and it's really fascinating. And sometimes you get some histories such as the giant this broke my heart. But that the giant replica of Maniac Mansion with all the characters hanging oh, out of it that was one. made for a cover of Nintendo Power, that's... that was burned after the photo was taken. God damn it. Like, but... that's so amazing. It's, fa it's fascinating. That guy's doing is great. Nintendo should pay him or something or, or give him, I don't know, have him do something special with him. Or, or let him publish an art book. I would love to see a, just a yeah. real high quality art book about some of these objects. They really are fascinating. He even has some of the original envelopes that people would draw pictures of and mail in. Oh yeah. It was such a big thing back then in all those gaming magazines. But I mean, the only reason I went on that long tangent is at the end where it says you're a level three adventurer, like that would, if Sierra had a thing at the time, which I don't think they did, like what if you could mail in and get a certificate? I'm a level three adventurer. This certifies that Will Thrasher is a level. I mean, that, that would be was, really cute, honestly. Yeah, yeah. To have, to have achievements, old school achievements. In the form <laughs> You're of right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I didn't think of it that way. Great point. So overall, Cranston Manor, it does show the um, Sierra's grasp of the adventure genre moving forward. Their, their parser holds them back, but it's. Uh, it, it's promising. It's uh, a good game. I think it's the, in some, yeah, I, I would say it's the best one yet. I think that's fair to say. I I, re I really enjoyed it. It had it has a lot of promise. Uh, overall, overall, it was a, a a good experience. And that's the one the one downside about doing it for a podcast. I kind of wish I had the luxury to play this as intended yeah. and to do a lot of exploring mm -hmm. myself. And, and, and But unfortunately, the time constraints of doing the podcast, I've got to play the full game before we record, which means I've got to turn to walkthroughs and playthroughs every, every now and then. Sure. More so than any of the games we've done so far, I believe this game would have been a true joy to just take my time and play over a month or two, exploring the environments and trying to figure stuff out. Like, like I... I would relish the opportunity to make a map of Cranston Manor yeah. as I was going. Like that, that, that would have just been not only necessary to completing the game, but also just a delightful exercise. There's something special about making a map uh, by hand on graph paper, in particular. Although I've seen people do it in Excel, it work out pretty well. Oh, that's true. I've seen people do that as well, and, the, yeah. and like make notes in different sections about what yeah. they're doing and what they found. The last time I did that is when I uh, got a compilation of the old Wizardry games on the PC and played oh. Wizardry 1 and was making maps of the dungeons and getting killed every three steps. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so hard, those old RPGs. God. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to move on. <clears throat> we're going to move on to, um, excuse me, my voice is going. Let me take a sip of Daddy's Special Tea. <laughs> That's what they call it. I just wink, wink, which plays good on a podcast. 
I'm um, dancing right now. Boogaloo and jibbity jab and flippity flap. Oh crap! I just remembered Boogaloo got ruined by assholes. So never mind. Cut that. Forget it. I probably remember to cut that, but I. I I will remind you because I would rather okay. not be associated with that word right now. I I see. Yeah, it, it took me a minute to make that connection. Um, very good. Okay, so what what you've been playing is is our next uh, section of the show. I've been getting into. I mean, I've always loved retro games. Obviously, that's part of why we're doing Sierra Quest. We have a shared love of adventure games and so forth. Um, but uh, playing these kind of retro games and, and going back to them as a guy in his late 30s as opposed to a teenager it's always you almost see it with new eyes if it's been a long time since you've played these things and i played an action game uh on on a super nintendo the uh indiana jones's greatest adventures did you ever play this one i don't believe i did no you should try and check it out if you can get a hold of it it's so lucasarts developed it in-house they used the same engine as their Super Star Wars trilogy. And uh. instead of having a game for each Indiana Jones movie, this was just the Indiana Jones trilogy, which is what it was at the time, just three movies, as one game. You don't get to pick which movie you start in. Um, is it done randomly, or is there a set order? Oh, it's chronological, or not, uh, in the order the movie was released. So it's uh. Raiders, then Temple, then uh, Last Crusade. Even though it is Temple, chronologically it is Temple, then Raiders, then Last Crusade. Yep. And it uses uh, audio clips from the movie briefly in places, uh, including, if you could have came over, there's a clip of Sean Connery as Indiana Jones' father going, I've lost him, in, in really bad compressed <laughs> audio, which just makes me laugh hard every time. Uh, unfortunately, because it begins with Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, there is a password system, but... Uh, I think level two or something is the boulder chasing you. So yeah, it's I'm kind of like screenshots of that right now. Oh, it's, it's a really hard like first level because it's like an endless runner where you got to keep on running and the screen is scrolling behind you and you got to jump over all these spikes. It's a pain in the, it's like a terrible <laughs> way to start the game. Way too, the whole thing is way too hard and you can only play as Indiana Jones the whole way through. Uh, he doesn't, the gun is an okay weapon. You mainly have the whip which isn't great. And then you have kind of weird physics. So it's not as good as the super star Wars games, but it was, um, the way they do some of the other levels is, is kind of weird, but it, it is nice that we got a game like that on super Nintendo and to hear John Williams music on the super Nintendo Yamaha sound chip is a decent rendition of those tunes. And I'm looking at some of these graphics. I do, I do love that particular sort of 16 bit era uh, yeah. and and I love the look of the Super Star Wars games. I am loving the look of this in Indiana Jones game. I love some of these these bitmaps and these textures. Yeah, maybe check it out. We can maybe talk about it next time. But it 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 is really a hell of a lot of fun, despite the high challenge. It does look like they reuse some of the animation and stuff of Han Solo for Indiana Jones. Well, I mean, an asset's an asset. Yeah, his <laughs> gunfiring animation looks a bit similar um when you start each level you see a you hear a clip of harrison ford going let's go that doesn't even sound like harrison ford <laughs> so and and just like super star wars they do something that i love where they take a still image from the movie in the cutscenes, where it's just like stills of different moments not not super high resolution mind you but it looks pretty good at the time 
That is very cool. I would love to see someone do Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in that style as like a fan game, as a side scroller, sixty bit. Uh, that could be pretty entertaining. You could uh, fight a giant ant that takes up the whole screen. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Would you fight like the aliens at the end, or excuse me, interdimensional beings, as George Lucas keeps saying. That's a kind of alien. I don't know. I guess we'll we'll leave that to whoever makes that fan version. Yeah. You think Indiana Jones Five will come out? In 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 okay. So five years ago, I would say no. Now I would say yes. With all the with all the old properties that aren't being let, allowed to die, yes, I think we are going to see another one. I don't know if we're going to see Harrison Ford in it. Like, He's I contracted honestly, to I honestly do feel it. Feel like. But... It'll it'll be Chris. It'll like be a new franchise with Chris Pratt continuing the. Harrison Ford insists it'll be him doing it, even though he's in his seventies. But that didn't stop uh, Stallone from doing Expendables and stuff like that. Or Connery, I guess. Uh, Connery won't. He's having too much fun being retired playing golf. But I miss oh, no, Connery I on the but screen was, terribly. But wasn't he in his seventies when he played uh, Indy's father? I think he was younger. There's only, like, 12 years difference, I think, between them. Oh. Well, never mind, then. Uh, I miss Sean Connery in in movies terribly. He was such a great presence. Uh, Almost always did solid work. He couldn't quite do... His Chicago accent in The Untouchables is pretty amusing. (laughs) Ramirez. The south side of Chicago. The baddest part of town. Ramirez, I am part Egyptian, part Spanish. That doesn't even sound like... Fuck it. It's almost my part John Reese Davies right there. Hey, uh, sidebar. Isn't it weird how for a time Highlander was synonymous with immortal? Immortals yes. were just called Highlanders for a while. Yes. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, they've been trying to remake that show for a long time. With Ryan Reynolds at one point. Uh, who knows? Hey, we covered Highlander on the sequel cast, so check that out. We did, and in fact, there's a Gap episode we can do where we didn't do a full episode on Highlander the Source. I don't think you saw that. The fifth direct-to-video Highlander? I'll have, to, I'll have to check. I thought I had, but I could be wrong. I absolutely could be wrong. Maybe you did. I, I, whenever, I, I take that back. We mentioned it briefly along with all the TV series and the anime and stuff. Um, anyhow, what have you been playing? All right, so what, what I've been playing, I will have some some uh, video game stuff to talk about on our next episode, mm-hmm. but I I absolutely had to talk about a board game for this episode. Sure. Uh, I played uh, the Dune board game, uh, the current edition, which is oh, uh, by... Awesome. It, it's by Bill Eberly, uh, Jack Kittridge, and Peter Olatka. They're the same friends who created Cosmic Encounter, another one of my favorite games. This edition is published by Gale Force 9, and... It's generally it's the same game as the Dune game from 1979 that they all designed, but the rules language has been tightened up. Uh, has a better it has better uh, better components, which I gotta say are not over designed. There is this mm. real trend in gaming graphic design to make things real fiddly, but with Dune they kept things very big, bold, and iconic, which really helps uh, with both gaming in general, but Dune in particular. I was delighted by the experience of playing this game. 
So did you play as, I'm just looking at the summary of the rule set on Wikipedia, did you play as the Padishah Emperor faction, or what, what uh, faction did you play? It, it's funny you mention that, yes, uh, I played uh, I played the Padishah Emperor. Uh, the other players were playing the Spacing Guild, uh, House mm. Atreides, and House Harkonnen. Uh, alliances were formed, which is a fo- big formal part of the game. Uh, I allied with the Spacing Guild. Ironically, the Harkonnens and Atreides allied with each other, but that's a that kind of weird, strange bedfellows politicking is a big part of the game. And we ended up eking out a shared victory uh, within two rounds of forming the alliance. Yeah, this was uh, reviewed in uh, Dragon Magazine, who... I don't... Is Dragon Magazine even still around? The, they had Dragon it's, and Dungeon as two separate magazines. One more about... It's always changing hands. Like when <sighs> Wizards of the Coast stopped publishing it, I feel like Paizo started publishing it. But mm. now I think Paizo only does Dungeon Magazine and maybe Wizard or maybe Dragon. At one point, the Dragon had, I think, reverted to like Guy, Gary Gygax's son. It's It's weird and complicated. Although that okay. being said, the rev- is the review for the modern version of the game or is the review for the 1979 no. version? Uh, no, it was a retro review in a 93 issue for the 79 version. Oh, and okay. It mentions, don't bother with the unbalanced advanced rules that Avalon Hill foisted on the clean basic design. I, hmm. I... Now, this is about the original version. It sounds like they smoothed over some of the, the rules and gameplay in the new one. Well, but what they... do you think about that? They generally, like, it's the same core game, but they generally tightened Mm. it up. Uh, They did keep the conceit of both regular and advanced rules. And all the the advanced rules really are is that every faction has, like, an additional advantage, but that advantage only kicks in when you're using the advanced rules. I do not believe we used those uh, when we played. Okay. Uh, How long did it take to do a game? The first time you play a board game, it always takes longer. But you said the rule set in this was pretty decent. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's pretty decent. I was already I already read the rules before we started playing. I think everybody at the table had uh, it. We we were done within within two hours. Although I will well, in, in less than two hours. Although I will admit that was in part uh, luck. After I formed my alliance with the Spacing Guild, it it was it it, it was a, a, like a perfect split between strategy and luck that we were able to achieve a joint victory condition. How's the artwork and the flavor text? The artwork, uh, the the there's not much there's not much flavor text uh, in the game itself. There are a lot of Dune quotes in the rulebook. Um, overall, I like the artwork because you can clearly tell what everything is. That being said, um, the pictures of like the various like like faction leaders. Everybody gets five leaders they can use to help sway sway battles. In the end, they all start looking pretty samey. Yeah, uh, like they could have, they could have, they could have made them look weirder, especially with like the spacing guild. Uh, also, one thing that also surprised me um, is so like when, when I when I like read Dune, I get some very specific images in my head, and like certain things need to look a certain way. Like you know, the Harkonnens are supposed to be redheads. You know, the the Atreides are supposed to have dark hair and blue eyes. That kind of thing. But like, like in, but like what I imagine in my head, I, cause it's the, you know, such a far future. I kind of imagine a more diverse cast of characters. Um, 
everyone looks pretty Anglo-Saxon uh, in the art, including including the Fremen, uh, yeah, really? which, which is which is like a bad. weird choice. And I, and I can understand not wanting to just make the Fremen appear Middle Eastern because one one could argue that that plays into like desert dwelling stereotypes. But that being said, like, is there any reason why, like, like you couldn't make Duncan Idaho black or or make like mm, one of the space right, field right. people uh, Asian? It, it was it's a weird, it's it's a it's a weird choice. Like, I guess both in terms of like diversity, but also in, in representation, but just also in terms of making individual game components look unique and individual. Like, play more. This is fucking Dune. You can make people look so weird. Like, you might as well just go go nuts as far as like who's what and what kind of fashion they're wearing you know right um is there any tie-ins to the new movie that's supposed to be coming out this year i bet now it'll come out for 2021 because of how all the big theater stuff has uh, been delayed well i know i know when this this gale force 9 edition was announced there was a lot of speculation. There was a lot of speculation that it was going to be a movie tie-in and in fact in when david lynch's dune came out the 90 or the the 79 version was reprinted mm -hmm. with art from the movie and, and pictures of mm. Kyle McLaughlin and all that um i don't think anybody negotiated anything like the the game rights for dune are in a weird place because the board game rights are in one, like one place the rpg rights are now held by modifius i believe and i think the modifius one was going to tie into the movie but then the movie kept getting delayed now i don't think it is um so no, this is not tied into the movie in, in any way, though they certainly could have released it that way. Yeah, um, I believe the Herbert Estate might own the rights to the video games. I would love for them to re-release the old stuff. All I know about the new Dune games they're doing, they're working on some kind of an MMO, hmm. um, which I guess I I think that's sort of uninspired. I think I would love to see. A ripoff of Master of Orion, but make it Dune themed. Oh, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, if I could do a Dune game, I would do that, or I would do um, HD remakes of the real time strategy games because I I really like what uh, Petroglyph Studios did with the recent compilation of Command and Conquer and Red Alert with all the expansions. They upraised everything to 4K. You can change the graphics at, at the hit of a button, but which they redid the graphics in the gameplay so it doesn't look like shit. But like it's the same pixel size and same animations and everything. Like it, it's a respectful, respectful job. And actually, I I had replayed the the uh, the, oh, the Dune real time strategy game a few years ago. And like, and it plays wonderfully. The only thing it doesn't have is the ability to just select all your units and give them all the same order. That's why I really like Dune 2000, which was the remake of it. Uh, it added some of those quality of life improvements. Uh, and of course, full motion video with actors like John Rhys Davies. Yeah. As I'm the Atreides Mentat, giving mission briefings. Is that the one where, where Mike McShane plays one of the Harkonnens, or is that a later one? That's the follow-up to that Emperor Battle for Doom. Battle for Doom, yes. Which that one is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So cool, cool, cool. I'll have to check out that board game. Did uh, does it go for like fifty bucks? How much does it cost? It. Let me see if I can find suggested. Uh, 
let me find suggested retail here. Oh, and something that is kind of neat that none of the old versions of that, um, they are now making expansions for it. The first expansion, I believe, hmm. is shipping soon, which nice. adds the House of Ix and the Talazoo as uh, playable factions. Oh, gosh. Let me see. Are the Ick or the Talaxu, is that the clones? And then what is the, the Ix? Or... Yeah, uh, the House of Ix has all the computer technology and the Talazoo has all the biotech. They're the ones who okay. created the Golas. Uh, oh, here Golas. we go. Yeah, it goes for about fifty. You can get it for a little bit more, or a little bit less, depending on you know where where you shop yeah. around. That being said, this this is a this is a great game. Oh, fair fair warning, minimum of three players. It just flat sure. out does not play with two. You need at least three people. Yeah. But the more and it goes up to six. The more people you add, the more convoluted the politicking gets, and and it's it's wonderful. There's so many times where you will have to faint within a faint within a faint. You you lose when you can, so that you can win when you must is is a big thing going on in this game. You ever play the card game Coup? Is I think I let, let me I think I have. Is that the it's, one where you're going on secret missions? Or is uh, Coup the one it, where your Coup is is a really good bluffing game? Oh yes, I have played Coup. I've just I just looked. It up. I, I had played this. I actually played this a few years ago at a friend's wedding. I, the last time we used to have a group of board game people that got together, and then unfortunately they all moved around. I think we'll have to resume it with a uh, Zoom or, or something. But things got so heated. Like we were, we would go to a bar that had big tables that invited people to play board games, and so we were drinking and we were like slamming the table and screaming at each other at one point. Like you, <laughs> you sold me out, you son of a bitch. <laughs> It's uh, I, I I like Coup for how how short it is, but it does not work as a two player game, even though you can do it as two players. Yeah. Not as good as a Love Letter. You've done that one, right? That one. Oh yeah, that's a, that's that true. one's and so there's several solid. Versions of that. There's a Batman one uh, we bought. That's, the Batman um, <laughs> one is is delightful, and I love those little Batman Stupid. tokens. Yeah, uh, Zombie Dice is a good. One. Oh, I I should go back into playing those games. I miss them. We have a whole shelf just sitting. I think we still have some stuff unopened. Isn't that isn't that awful when that happens? You have like board games that you bought you haven't quite gotten to. Well, well, in the current age, the current age being mid twenty twenty, like you got a perfect justification for that. You can't go out and play with anybody. <laughs> in the age of COVID, yeah. Um, so in the before time, BC before COVID, AC after COVID. Yikes! Do you, All right. Do you know I have in my lifetime I have had three like before and after things <laughs> i guess you have two we're about the same age yeah um the other one i think would be 9 11 yeah that would be one of them um wh what's your third I, I would say the uh the uh the financial collapse in 08 oh the recession the great recession yes yep. i would add a fourth just because um, it was affected me as a child not not directly what blu-ray <laughs> that's funny that's very funny um i would say the the challenger exploding oh yeah not now that, that i had any family or friends involved in that but it was something that was uh i guess like it was a big disaster thing that i was just old enough to remember it huh 
and there was the other spaceship disaster in when we were in college, right? In uh, 2000. Yeah, that was what that was the Discovery. I think yeah, yeah, Discovery. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So how how we got from Cranston Manor to exploding to spaceship uh, to NASA um, snafus? I have no idea. <laughs> but that's part of the joy of Sierra Quest. Next time we'll be talking about high res adventure number four, Ulysses and the Golden Fleece. It is not a Roberta Williams game. I'm not saying that to slammer. I just want to point it out. Uh, designed by Bob Davis uh, with Ken Williams. You know, what I think Ken Williams did in these games is he was the programmer. I don't think he was really the designer because he was more of the programmer businessman uh, and then stepped away from the programming to run the business. And to make the occasional cameo in an Al Logan. Yeah. It's, uh, I could be mistaken on this, but it's a lost opportunity that there wasn't a Ken Williams cameo in one of the full motion video games. Like <laughs> a walk on. Great. Perhaps there is in Phantasmagoria, perhaps, but I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> well, <laughs> it'll be a while before we get there. Leave us a good review, a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. Just look up Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. We're a part of that uh, RSS feed. And we're now part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. You can also go to um, listen to us on Spotify. And we're on Stitcher. Um, you're going to do the song? No. Oh, yeah. Listen to us on <laughs> Stitcher. It's, it's been such a while. I was out of it, voice it song for that. You look like, uh, with that red robe, you look like John Lovitz in those Subway commercials to take it back to the Subway. Subway, eat fresh. Master Thespian. Yeah. Acting. Now, is that a character you think he did develop way back at the Groundlings? Or did he have to get permission from snl i i feel like it must have been hello oh you cut out there for a second can you repeat yourself I said we talk about Subway way too much in this podcast. We don't talk about John Lovitz nearly enough. That's true, and I'm slowly adding the old episodes to the archive. I might take a break from adding the sequel cast episodes to toss all the critic episodes up there. Oh, yeah. Because we have over 100 episodes of our original sequel cast uh, show. Sequel cast Mark 1. <laughs> sequel cast the prequel. The prequel to sequel cast. That's true. But, but yeah, sure, sure, Mometer critiquing the critic. I think that was one of the best podcast experiences I've ever had. So, and thank you yes. for making that possible. Oh, no, thank you for doing it. I, uh, yeah, I, I still can't believe I got Al Jean and got to talk to him twice. That was great. Yeah. Um, cause I, I couldn't get that done in the Disney era. That's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, for, um, Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Game is human. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher saying, say sesame backwards. You can't pick that up. It's not yours to take. <laughs>